Welcome to the Northern Appalachian Film Collective Podcast. Our guest today is Vance Major. NAFCO would like to thank the sponsors, Western PA Systems, the Electrical Design Build Contractor, and also Dakota, the Du Bois Area Council and the Arts, for sponsoring our group. Vance Major is a filmmaker. He's made dozens of Star Trek fan films, and he's made films on uh, some other subjects and other TV shows as well. And we're going to talk to him about his filmmaking process. Hello, Vance. Are you there? Absolutely. Hi. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, how did you first start getting involved in uh, filmmaking? <laughs> well, I, uh, it actually started when I went down to Oklahoma City uh, to see the old Starbase Studios set that was down there. And uh, when I came back to work, I got a message on Facebook from Michael King, who does the Starship Valiant. And he asked if I wanted to be part of his film. And I was kind of blown away. I was like, oh, wow, um, absolutely I would. And um, it's kind of been just, you know, kick the doors in on my way ever since. Just keep going and keep going and keep going. So, you know, I just found a passion for it. And, you know, it's it's been a childhood dream to be part of this universe ever since and uh, I've never stopped going. So when did this all happen for you? For, uh, um, it was uh, it, it started about six years ago, six and a half years ago. Um, is when he reached out when I went down there to the studio for the first time. And um, yeah, that's when I was playing the character for about a year. And then uh, I had asked if I could record myself on the bridge to do something, you know, kind of for my uh, friends, just as kind of, you know, play make believe, <laughs> um, even though I was, you know, even though acting is kind of just play make believe. Um, and I kind of got a taste of what filmmaking was and started just doing my own thing and uh, asked Michael if I could do some films about the character. And uh, Michael being the guy that he is, was like, sure, absolutely. So um, yeah, that, that's kind of what got me into the whole thing. And uh, you know, I, at first I was you know, always um, respectful um, to the source material. And uh, I actually had talked with him uh, on hours on end about the character's motivation and and everything and and where he saw the character where I saw the character and um, you know when I would make the films I would always run it past him and he always gave his blessing um, and you know now it's it's kind of the character's kind of taking a life of his own and uh, you know now uh, he he actually has appeared in more films of mine than I have of his <laughs> you know because um, his films I think are higher quality than mine um, I, but I you know, the fact that I kind of shoot them on a cell phone, um, I'm more story driven, um, you know, uh, just in the fact of, you know, I, I just keep pumping them out. Um, but his, his are always like more high quality, you know, uh, but we always collaborate and we always seem to kind of come back together and, and appear in each other's stuff. And, and it's, it's just a blessing to work with such a, a wonderful actor and a wonderful guy who has kind of the same vision I do on stuff, you know, so, um, yeah. Your, your uh, character is named Menard. How yeah. did he sort of evolve over time from when you first conceived of him to your latest incarnation of him? Well, <clears throat> at first I, 
the way the character was written, he was kind of a, a blank slate and the way he was written in a film for uh, kind of a crossover or what was supposed to be a crossover between Starship Valiant and Starship Ajax, uh, which never saw the light of day. Um, it, it actually like that, that thing we shot uh, actually ended up being um, the future scenes from a film that I did called the Valhalla Stone. Um, the stuff that was on the bridge was actually what we shot there. But if you watch Menard, the way he plays stuff um, there, he's, he, I, he kind of, is like Dante from Clerks where stuff just keeps kind of falling apart on him. And he's kind of like, ah, oh, dang it. <laughs> you know, I'm not even supposed to be here today, <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, cause there really wasn't much to that character. Um, but I, I, I had left my wedding ring on because here at work, we're supposed to take all of our like jewelry off. Um, you know, we're not allowed to wear necklaces. We're not allowed to wear wedding rings. And I, when I was on set, I, I really wanted to wear my wedding ring. And one of the guys had called, uh, you know, us to pause on set and was like, hey, is Menard supposed to wear a wedding ring? And I had said, actually, in my mind, uh, in the first episode of Valiant, there was a battle and ha like a hundred of the crew was killed. And in my mind, Menard lost his wife and a lot of times people, when they lose their spouse, they can't take their wedding ring off. And that's part of, like, they throw themselves into their work. And this is Menard's way of coping. And Michael loved that idea so much. He was like, yeah, let's, let's keep that. And so, like, that was part of the way that the character sort of evolved. And that's been a staple of the character um, ever since. Whereas when we first, you know, started writing for the character that wasn't there so it, that's been one of the you know that's one of the changes from his inception so okay uh menard was uh originally an engineer mm -hmm. or was he originally uh a, a captain yeah he uh he he got a crystal uh because one of the one of the things i i wanted to do was play uh, you know, it, it's, I think every Trekkie's dream to, to just wear different costumes and, and kind of take the pictures and, and, uh, you know, kind of cosplay and, and, and fantasize. Um, but, you know, having access to the sets and having access to materials that, you know, others don't, you know, I, I can not only fantasize, I can actually do that. So, uh, one of the things I wanted to do was, uh, tell a story of Menard at Wolf 359. Um, sadly, I don't have a Galaxy class bridge or a Defiant class bridge. I still have access to a Constitution class bridge. So I was like, okay, what story can I tell? And I remembered the uh, reference in Relics that Picard says, yeah, he went to a museum ship, you know, of a Constitution class ship. And I was like, yeah, I can use that. I can use that idea here. Um, to where a Constitution class ship, like we're going to use that kind of like Battlestar Galactica. It's an old ship. We've got to get out of Dodge. You know, we've got to run from the Borg. You know, what if the Federation, you know, because at that moment in history, when the Borg is attacking Wolf 359, we don't know anything about what's going to happen. So what if we use that? And that's Menard's way of, you know, being in a next generation outfit, you know, having the Borg on screen, you know, Menard against the Borg, you know, it's limited in what I can do but I, it's still my way of doing that. And um, that, that became really popular with people that I, you know, made more adventures of that crew and that ship and whatnot. 
Um, and I, I, I had to tell a way to, you know, how am I, how am I going to get him there? Cause people were asking, is that Menard's grandson? Is that, you know, an alternate version of Menard? Like, how is he alive? So I had to tell a story of, you know, how is he alive? So I, I made a crystal called quadlithium um, to tell the story of, you know, Menard doesn't age. Um, it's kind of this thing that keeps him young so that it would kind of be, uh, you know, it, it's kind of my uh, storytelling. It's my cheat. You know, if he needs to go to another universe, uh, quadlithium. If he needs to get visions, quadlithium. If, you know, it's if whatever he needs to do, uh, we'll just quadlithium reference okay now we can keep going you know it's kind of like the the tears of the prophets in ds9 you know it's whatever they need uh story purposes here we go you know so that was my way to do that so um yeah so that's why i went from engineer to captain so a lot of your episodes are shot in like um in a field or in a forest or mm -hmm. in a room just talking on a uh, screen with someone yeah i always liked that about your films is you were had minimal amounts of of props in those films aside from like your handgun and your uh uniform right that was uh showed a lot of creativity <laughs> well the, the thing is like we we go through our our daily life and it's like a lot of the times you know it's like you'll it's, you know, it's like, how many times do you go through your day and you're walking through your front room talking on your phone with, you know, somebody that you know, and the equivalent of that in the 24th century or 23rd century is them talking on their comm box, you know, or the view screen. And the thing is, like, I don't have actors that I pay, like, none of us make any type of money. Um, you know, the, the only time we fundraise for anything is like, if we need new uniforms, and it's very seldom that we actually do fundraise for something. So, I mean, it would probably be more accurate to say low budget productions instead of no budget productions. Um, but I mean, given the fact that we've made over 70 films on, I think like 2000 bucks or 2,500 bucks or something like that, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's pennies for the dollar basically, you know? So, I mean, you're, you're getting a huge amount of product for little to nothing. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where like I, you know, I've had people that are in England who filmed for me, where if anybody wants to make a film or be part of a fan film, I don't really turn anybody away. My only requirement is, hey, record yourself. Here's the position I need you from, um, which is basically, you know, Starfleet standard, you know, mid chest to head, um, you know, kind of shoulders apart, you know, basically view screen, how they appear on their view screen um, and record yourself. And then here's the lines. Google Drive it to me so I can download it and then I'll have my editors edit everything in. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very easy to work with. You know, you don't have to have a uniform. You know, I'll just write that into the story or if it's, you know, the situation, you know, it's like, ah, maybe they're, a, you know, maybe it's a distress call that I put you in or maybe they're on vacation, you know, or maybe, you know, to me, it's like those things don't matter because real world circumstances all the time, just because I'm part of Starfleet doesn't mean I'm always in a Starfleet uniform, you know, and that's, uh, you know, real world happens even in no matter what century you're in, you know. Um, and so I try to keep it real with my films. To me, it's those things are just window dressing. It's all about the story. Um, so to me, it's like it's it's always going to be kind of like it was for Kevin Smith's Clerks, where two people walk into frame, they have a conversation, one person leaves, <laughs> you know, and that's 
that's kind of like my films. If you, if you watch my films nine times out of 10, that's kind of how a scene will go. You know, um, it, I'm, I'm very predictable in what I do, but you know, I, I think for me and what I do, it's, it's pretty efficient, you know, cause the characters come across as very real, you know, so. You had a son about three years ago. How did having a kid affect your filmmaking? Um, it's opened it up. Like I love, <laughs> I love filming with Royce. Uh, he's, I, I initially was going to stop when, when Royce was bored because I, I wanted to focus on being a father and there was such a clamoring for me to come back. I was only gone for like <laughs> maybe six months. Um, and I, my last film was, was with him. Um, because I was Menard kind of accepting responsibility of, Hey, this kid has nobody. I, you know, if I've, I found him on this planet, he, you know, he's got, nobody's going to get lost in the system. I don't want him to grow up like I did. So it was, it was very appropriate for the, what I was going through at the time of, I don't want my son to actually grow up like, like I did. And, and, you know, I, I want to focus on my son. Um, and I want to put him first. Um, but enough people came forward and said, look, we'll help you. You know, don't, don't worry about, you know, you know, real world comes first, like you've always said. So I was like, oh, so, and, and that's the thing, like, I've, I've really kept that up. And the thing about it is like, I've, I've continued to film with my son and, and he's loved it. Like the past film that I've done, uh, sinking, uh, he actually held like the, the ready room that I'm in that I I've built out of cardboard and, and him and I painted together and, and he actually cut the, the window out, uh, he he held the flashlight because the the ready room is is damaged and he actually held the flashlight because the lights shut off in my den so that it would be dark and he held the flashlight on me and it was funny because a couple times i had to tell him shh daddy's filming you know daddy's filming and a couple times when when i'd be like okay and cut i think we're good he would tell me shh you're filming i'm like <laughs> that's cute you know, and he actually helped me. Uh, he saw me make uh, fake blood because he's helped me on on one of my zombie films before. Um, and none of my stuff's like grotesque, so it's it's nothing you know that that would be inappropriate for you know a three year old. Um, but he knows how to make you know fake blood, which is chocolate syrup and red food coloring. Um, so he helped me apply that on, and he had a blast. <laughs> and when we saw the film in its uh, edited form. Uh, and he saw me, you know, kind of bloodied up with the, uh, you know, in the ready room, he was like, oh, chocolate syrup. <laughs> and I was like, yep, that's right, son. You know, so um, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I get to share these experiences with my son. And like I said, he's, he's been now with, with me, I think on maybe eight films. And the last, the last film that we shot, um, which will be the upcoming film, Much Afraid, um, there's a dream sequence where Menard's running in the front yard with his son kind of playing uh, tag or, you know, chase, you know, chasing. Um, but it's a real father-son moment um, that Menard is is kind of daydreaming about or dreaming about. And it was funny because I was like, okay, Royce, go around that tree and daddy's going to chase you. And he was like, he got about halfway and he said, no, stop, you go that way and I'll chase you. And I said, like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> you know, so he was giving me direction, you know. Um, and it, you know, it came out very charming, you know, that scene did, you know, and it's cause it was just, it was real me and my boy just playing, you know, and, and that's all it really has been. So me having my son, um, it's just expanded 
what I love to already do. And, and I'm, I'm seeing him do something that I love to do. Cause he goes, every time I go to film on set, he goes with me. That's kind of one of my uh, stipulations when I go to film is I don't go without my, my wife or my son, they go with me. And I always get a picture of me and him on set together. And I, I, we've got pictures of me and him above his bed uh, every time we've gone. And, and he knows that's me and daddy on, on his starship. And he's got a, he's got a, uh 1701 um he's got a 1701 that he knows his daddy's ship you know so i mean i that's me and his bond so just like in the uh original series was balance of terror you have a mirror universe in yours yeah. and an and an evil menard do you mm -hmm. did you uh enjoy playing the evil version of your of your Menard character? I do. I, <laughs> the thing is like, it's, and everybody always says this and it's, it's so true. Like it's more fun to play evil than it is, you know, the, the, the stand up heroic type captain. Um, the, the thing is like, it's more liberating to do, you know, cause it's like anyone who's met me knows I'm, I'm pretty funny. I'm pretty friendly. Um, like, I love to tell jokes. Um, I mean, I don't know if I'm necessarily funny, but I, I love, like, I love to have a good sense of humor. Um, and I love to be around people who love to tell jokes. Um, and it's, it, to, to be that character um, who's always one step ahead and he's always trying to, you know, like, I, I wouldn't want to be around the guy. <laughs> um, and it's, it's such a compliment when people, you know, they, they watch it and they're like, dude, that, that character scared the hell out of me. Um, like that's a huge compliment, you know, uh, cause it's, it's so not me. And that, that's a sign of like, I mean, I, I can honestly say like I, about 90, 85 to 90% of the Menard character is me. It's, it's what I would do in a real situation. And a lot of the situations that I've written are inspired from my real life. Um, they're, they just have a Star Trek wrapper. So it's not hard to play Menard because um, a lot of the dialogue, the afflictions are me. Like that's, it's not really acting. It's just me. Um, but when I play Minard, which is my mirror universe uh, counterpart, like that's not me. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot of fun to kind of stretch and say that, that to me is more acting than playing Menard. Um, so it is a lot of fun. And then, like I said, when you get the compliments of like, dude, that, that, that really scared me. That was terrifying. I'm like, that's, thank you. <laughs> you know, that, that's the point. Um, so I look forward to seeing, uh, I, I know where the story arc is going. Uh, like once the sky stops falling with the current situation the, the world is in, um, and we're allowed to go back to the studio. Uh, I, I know where we're going and I, you know, the, the current crew, uh, they've heard the story. They know the script. Uh, you know, they're all excited as well. You know, once we're able to tell that story, I think the fans will will be like, man, this the story arc was with, was worth the wait, you know. Um, and I hope we're able to present them something that they walk away with and are satisfied, you know. Because um, I think that's one thing about the Constar Chronicles, because uh, we released 51 films in December um, of just the TNG stuff. Um, and I think that was one thing they all walked away with was you have so many different characters that are just rich characters. It, it wasn't all about Menard. It was, man, uh, Menard's there, but man, I like that guy. Or man, I like that character. You know, it wasn't just 
Menard. It was so many different characters, uh, kind of like a fan film version of DS9, you know? So, um, you know, I hope, I hope we're able to tell a satisfying story and, and something that wraps up the mirror Menard, you know, so. Your uh, spaceship Constar, how did you come up with that name for a spaceship? The Constar name, it's just like with the Menard character name. Uh, it, it, when we were kids, my uh, two best friends and I, we would play Star Trek. Uh, and the Constar was just the ship that uh, we named our ship. So that's what we would play as kids. And that's where we came up with it. You've done a few other films that aren't Star Trek. You did uh, some zombie movies, zombie films, and you did parodies of a couple other uh, or episodes of a couple other uh, science fiction shows, didn't you? Um, I did. I did an Orville fan film. Uh, which was the very first one that was done. And this was uh, two years ago, uh, maybe two and a half years ago, yeah, about two and a half years ago. Yeah, that was called uh, the Marianas Trench. Um, and yeah, so we did, I did an Orville fan film. Um, and then I did uh, three zombie films. I finally just wrapped up that trilogy. Um, and then I've done a superhero film. Um, which it's it's more of a, a vigilante, like a, a low to no budget vigilante film. Like there's no superpowers or nothing. It's 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 more of like an urban Batman esque type character. Because um, I, I I really try to keep a lot of my independent stuff grounded. Um, like no special effects in my stuff. Like I I don't really get into that. Because um, like the the way I see it is like the the more you leave to the imagination, the better. Because um, like when you watch the movie alien like you don't see a lot of the alien so a lot of it's left up to your imagination and the the more you can do that and leave it up to the audience to fill in the gaps like that to me is more creepy and 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 it's it's better storytelling than is if you show full-fledged cgi horrific ghosts and, and to me it just takes you out of that moment uh, so to me i leave a lot of stuff up to the audience to fill in the gaps and to me i i resort more of storytelling and reactionary shots um but let's see i've done i i've produced um a a christian film um i've produced uh uh kind of a psych uh uh, kind of a horror film called Hidden, uh, Hidden Fear, um, and then I've acted in a f independent film called Coworkers. Um, so I, I I get around. <laughs> so yeah, I've done more than just uh, Star Trek, and then I've done a couple of uh, audio things, uh, audio voiceovers. Um, so I uh, Chronicle is is one of them. That's uh, more recently that I've done. So. Yeah, I've done I've done quite a few stuff besides just Constar Constar stuff. And your uh, zombie one was the Dead Inside trilogy. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, the Dead Inside trilogy. Um, and it was uh, those films are Dead Inside, um, Corner of Longview, and then Voice of the Dead. So, if people want to see your films, what's your YouTube channel? Um, it's no budget productions. And I know when you go to, uh, like, there's a whole bunch of, uh, quote unquote, no budget productions. Um, just type in Vance-a-mania and uh, one word and uh, just like Hulkamania, except Vance-a-mania and uh, you, you should find me. Um, so yeah, just type in uh, like dead inside Vance-a-mania or Star Trek fan film Vance-a-mania something like that. And, uh, or Star Trek fan film 
no budget productions, something like that. And I mean, I'm pretty easy to find. So, yeah. Well, I typed in Star Trek Menard. There you go. And then I clicked on the uh, producer. But I sort of knew what it was before since I've already subscribed. So, Thank you. Uh, yeah, if you, if you type in, if you just type in uh, Menard uh, fan film or, or Star Trek Menard, like you, sh you should be able to find it that way pretty easy, I, I would assume, because I, I don't think there's too much that says Menard, so. Or, or just Constar, that too, Star Trek Constar or something like, just something like that with those keywords, you should be able to find it pretty easy, so. So how long do you see yourself continuing to make Star Trek films? Oh Lord, I, if, if my wife if my wife had her way, I'd be done. You know, um, I I was supposed to have stopped several times. Um, I'm currently working with. Well, when I go back to. Like like when when the sky stops falling, I have six films for Constar concludes. And. Once that's done, um, like the Constar stuff, I'm I'm done. Um, now, of course, my cast and crew, ha you know, have the free green light to to write whatever they want, you know, and and you know, of course, I'll look it over to make sure it doesn't break continuity with stuff, you know, because I, I want to make sure that it, you know, we're not having, you know, I don't want them to, you know, write the XO, you know, transporting down to the planet and shooting up the place, you know, I, I want to make sure we're not <laughs> breaking continuity and and writing characters out of norm. But you know, I'm I'm I pretty much encourage all of them. Hey, do do your own thing, and uh, we do have uh, one of the the people doing their own spinoff of the Constar stuff uh, called Starship Artemage. Um, you know, so I do encourage those things, and I'm I'm still staying behind the scenes and and helping them out because we do have kind of a close knit group of people uh, that that do work together and help each other out. I am going to continue working with uh, George Kyan, uh, who's done. Starship Antilus, and he's been doing fan films since the 90s. Uh, he was using like those old VHS tapes, <laughs> you know, that they used to use, you know, back before they had the internet and everything, and you know, back before anybody was even paying attention to anything, you know. So that dude's a, a legend. Um, but him and I are working on uh, about maybe three films, I think, at the moment. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like if somebody asks for help on something, I'll never turn them away. So I don't, I don't really think I'll ever fully be done, but realistically, like I, I only have a certain amount of stories that I feel need to be told and then I'm, I'm kind of done. So for me personally, I have about six personal stories that I feel need to be told and then the three with George, um, and then, uh, you know, kind of done. Um, but you know, and then I'm, I'm working with the Avalon universe on, on their stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I'm ever going to be done <laughs> realistically. So, you know, yeah, I, the sky's the limit, man. <laughs> you mentioned it briefly before that, uh, what, but say again, what kind of equipment are you using on set to shoot your films? Uh, my cell phone. That's, <laughs> that's, that's it. it. Just your cell phone, any microphones? Um, I sometimes, um, and and I don't do it often. I have a mic that uh, uh, Jason Spriggs from uh, Mr. Ray Gun uh, Media. Uh, he he sent me two microphones. I still have one. One got damaged, but I still have one. 
and I, I take absolute care of it because I, I, it came in so handy when it was super windy outside and it's, it's such a help. Um, but I don't use it very often because I'm always afraid I'm going to break it again. But I have a tripod that I use. It's, it's a short tripod, but it's also so handy because I, I don't have to sit there and figure out, you know, okay, I got to place this phone in a tree somewhere so I can shoot something. You know, it's, it's nice to have that. So those are the only two things, accessories that I use. I'd say I use the tripod a lot more than I use the microphone because I just don't care enough to use the microphone as much. Not when I'm shooting like on set or something. My, my phone's microphone is, is usually good enough, but if it's windy or if there's something that's, uh, you know, we got a lot of noise outside, like I'll grab my microphone. So it really just depends on the situation. Uh, but outside that, just my cell phone. Um, everything else is kind of just done in post, but usually I I, I kind of leave myself looking a little raw because it's one of those things where it's like if I if I try to look too fancy, that's when you you know run the risk of taking yourself too seriously, and then I'm not interested in that. I'm more interested in and eh, let's just tell the story, shoot it and go, you know. So well, there's a lot of filmmakers that are just shooting on cell phones now, like what is it, Steve Sonderberg? shot two feature films on a cell phone and he's a academy award-winning cinematographer so you're in good company there <laughs> well it's funny because like when i first i the, to bring up to, to go back to the when i wanted to shoot on the bridge for the first time uh one of the one of the people who i had asked you know hey can i can i shoot at my station you know real quick um, they're like, well, what are you going to shoot with? And I was like, well, just my cell phone. They're like, well, you, you can't do that. Um, you know, because you know, I, you know, I have a camera, you know, look at this camera and they showed me like their thousand dollar camera and all the buttons and features and all that, you know, and they were kind of, kind of putting me underneath their thumb. And, you know, when they left the bridge, I was like, yeah, screw that. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, cause I, to me, it's like, I've never been interested in the fancy schmancy stuff, you know, and, and not to be mean or nothing, but they still haven't made a film, you know, and it's been five years since that happened. Um, you know, and here I am, you know, showing anybody, Hey, you can do what I do. I'm not that special. So, you know, I encourage you, you know, go make your films, go, you know, make your mistakes, see what works and see what doesn't work and then go make some more, you know, so, you know, fail upwards, you know? Well, you should use the, kind of equipment is appropriate for what you're doing. And for a lot of stuff you're doing, a cell phone seems to be an appropriate type of gear for you to be using. Yeah, well, a, a lot of times people think, you know, because they, they've bought a camera that makes them a filmmaker. And to me, I'm like, that does not make you a filmmaker at all. You know, all that means is you wasted a lot of money if it's not, if it's not what is gonna make, if, it, if, if you're not getting anything or getting anything of value, what was the point? You know, and me, I, money doesn't really mean much of anything to me. Time is, is more important than money. And I don't like to waste my time. So to me, it's like, I'd rather just use my cell phone because I can upload this shit direct or pardon me. I didn't mean to swear. Um, you know, uh, you know, I can, I can upload the stuff to Google drive automatically. I can transfer it to my editor. You know, it's, it's perfect for what I'm using it for, you know? So, and again, it, it helps me from taking myself too seriously, you know? Yeah. Some of the advantages people said about the cell phone is if you're doing a movie, you can get a lot closer to the people. Uh, like 
in a feature film, you can't put a giant camera in a small room with the people and have it look right. So they basically rebuild the rooms in sets where they have a second room beside it to hold the camera and looking into the room they're trying to shoot just because it's so bulky to take care of. And so there's a lot of advantages to cell phone shooting. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, definitely, it, it definitely changes things when you, when you, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, you know, the bulkiness of, of certain things, you know. Um, and, and again, like to get certain camera angles, it's just like, it, it's certainly nice to walk over and just be like, okay, the worst time I get is like a hand cramp, <laughs> you know, instead of like, we gotta, we gotta push this wall back or this, or, you know, especially when you're on a location shoot, you know, and, and you actually are in a house, you know, instead of, you know, something that you can't physically rebuild, you know, so, um, you know, to me, it, it, it's perfect for what I do. Um, cause again, I'm more interested in, you know, Hey, is this going to look good for, you know, this after effect that I need to do or for like this transporter shot? I mean, it's like, again, I am able to do everything that I'm able to do on a cell phone. Um, you know, my, my visual effect art, visual effect artists, um, you know, they can do all that stuff and, you know, based on the stuff that I send them you know, why go spend money if I don't have to, I'd rather, you know, have everybody down and Hey, let's go, let's go order pizza. <laughs> let's go, you know, let's go out to a nice dinner guys. Let's go have fun. Um, instead of, Hey, let's reset up. And this doesn't look right for this light, or this is picking up something that doesn't need to, to me. I'm like, eh, let's go, let's go spend time and money on stuff that, that matters, you know? So, you know, to me, I get in, get out, and then I go have fun with, with the cast and crew and, and make the memories that matter. You know, we got our film, now let's go make some memories, you know? So, yeah. And, it, and it's one of those things where it's like, we all have that technology in our pocket and it's like, why not use that? You know? And, it, and, and I understand like, you're, you're not going to get Steven Spielberg to, to shoot the next Jurassic Park on, you know, uh, you know, or the next James Cameron to do the, the alien movie. Like I get that. Like, but for what, like what I do, you know, there, there's no reason to spend money needlessly. Like I said, I'd rather, I'd rather buy lunch for my cast and crew then spend money on a camera I don't need or wouldn't utilize or would just basically press the same record button that I'd press on my phone. You know, what's the point? And at the end of the day, isn't that what's important? Or I'd rather buy enough uniforms for everybody to have so that we have what we need instead of, okay, we have to raise another thousand dollars that we don't need. So to me, it's, it's all about, you know, it's easy to criticize something that you don't have to spend time or money on. You know, and again, like I'm happy with, with what we've done. You know, we have so much to be proud of, you know, and when we, when you sat in that bridge at that station in those uniforms, how can you sit there and be like, man, this is a waste of time. You know, it's something to be proud of because not many people get to do that. Um, you know, and, and as someone who's sat in that captain's chair several times, there's no better experience. Like it's an addiction, you know? So, you know, bless those people's hearts who think they know more, but you know, go make your film, you know? And if, and if it's better than mine, great. Done all these films and you have scripts for all these films. What's your script writing process and use a formal script structure or is it more just loose, looser? Oh no, I'm, I'm very loose on that. Um, I, I do, I'm very dialogue heavy on my scripts. I don't stick to any type of format, which, uh, my partner from Shadowstorm Studios, he, he goes bonkers whenever he has to read a script of mine. Cause I don't, 
<laughs> he's very but he's very formal because he went to school for directing um he also went you know he also does sound um so but whenever he has to read a script that i've written it, it he it, you know <laughs> he's kind of like oh dang it because i i don't i don't follow none of that um and i i write on my cell phone um you know the little notepad that they give you in your cell phone you know again i'm very bare to bones um basic um so i'll write um, on my cell phone and I'll write just dialogue and I'll, I'll sit there and, and, and on break, I'll talk to myself or like if I go out and grab my numbers on the floor, like I'll be sitting there talking dialogue in my head. And so like sometimes people see me talking to myself and, and I, you know, I've had to explain to people, I'm like, no, I, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm running dialogue in my head. You know, how does this sound? Cause a lot of times what you think sounds right on paper, um, once you hear it, you know, once you talk it out, it sounds completely different and you're like, Oh, that sounds horrendous. Uh, so when you actually hear it spoken, you're like, Oh no, I, let me change this. Okay. That sounds better. Um, so that's how I usually do it. And, uh, yeah, it goes by pretty quick. And then, um, a lot of times people don't realize once you get to set, like things change. So I'm very flexible. So that's one reason why I don't, uh, I don't really stick to set locations or, um, uh, you know, I'm very vague in that regard. I don't really, you know, I have an idea for what I want, but I don't put that on the script. Uh, again, I'm, I'm more like, let's just script, stick to the words. And once we get there, we'll decide how we want to posture stuff. Because um, I, I really do leave it to the moment of how things feel. Um, and then I, I do see the script as a guide. I don't uh, stick to... Um, I don't stick to, you know, hey, stick to the letters, stick to the letter of the law of that script. You know, I'm, I'm more like, hey, as long as you know where the next person's coming from, like, just stick to the emotion of what they're saying. Because in the moment, people will pause, people will stop for a word, or they may stumble for a second. But as long as the emotion is there, I'm, I'm good with it, you know. Um, and that's okay, you know, just be real in that moment. Because a lot of times in films especially fan films you know people will sound very robotic or very wooden and it's because they're trying to remember the dialogue instead of being real in the moment and to me i'm like man check all that stuff out let's let's be real let's be people you know and i think that's more important than what's actually being said you know as long as you know you know a leads to b leads to c you know um i think that's more important like, for instance, if the captain's line is, uh, you know, Ensign Report, and their line is, uh, we have a warp core breach in progress, and the captain's next line is, all hands abandon ship, you know, if that's the script, okay, let, that's fine. Let's say we're filming, and the captain says, report, and the person says, the warp core is going critical. You can, you know, the captain can still get to his line and say, all hands abandon ship. I'm fine with that. To me, that's still a perfect take even though the guy didn't say his line, you know, that that's not exactly the line, but I'm okay with that because you still got the captain where he needed to go. Um, however, here's a bad take. If, if the captain says report and the guy says transporters are offline, what cut? <laughs> no, 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 no. That doesn't work. So to me, I'm very flexible, but you have to get the person. It's a dance. You have to get the person where they need to go. So that's my script writing process and that's how flexible I am with my actors. I'm, I'm very flexible and I'm very easy to work with. So to me, it's all a dance of, of several moving parts. So. Yes. 
is there something you'd like to tell the listeners before we close up this interview? Well, um, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are going to tell you what their interpretation is and what worked for them. Um, but like I said earlier, go out there and make your mistakes and fail upwards. Just keep going and find out what works for you. And what may work for someone else may not work for you. Um, and that's okay. But once you find out what works for you, hold on to that. And don't let anybody else tell you differently. Because if I had listened to that person who tried to convince me to go out and buy a $1,000 camera before I ever shot anything, I wouldn't have a legacy of films that I'm very proud of. And I can sit there and tell you every flaw that's in my film. And I know they're not perfect films by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm very proud of them. And I have something that I can show my son and him and I watch them fairly often. And I have memories with my son that nobody can take from me. And I have so many memories with so many good people that I hold very dear. And it all boils down to, I didn't listen to a negative person. So don't listen to negative people. Do you. So that's, that's all I have to say. All right, Vance, it's been nice talking to you. Uh, I'm going to officially end the interview here and uh, okay. that's the end.